This will be our, I always hate to say this, but I feel, do feel confident. This will be our uh, expositional look into the letter of the Philippians. It's a bittersweet thing. I've really enjoyed this book. It's a fun book. It's a joyful book. It's the, it's the letter of joy. And uh, we're thankful it's a, it's a good book for us. And uh, we're going to see tonight, uh, just when I thought you were finished, you know, sometimes it isn't a great when you just think that you're finished with something you get, and you get one more scoop of goodness. Is that always nice? You know, just think you're finished with a, with a milkshake, and you look down at the bottom, and there's a, there's a cherry down there, or there's a, you know, a big, a big glob of googly, you know, chocolate and peanut butter down there. It's, oh, man, I got one more bite. That's a blessing. And there's one more bite right here. In fact, if I were to be real technical, uh, and I won't do this to you, I can preach four more sermons out of just right, right here. There's four sermons right here about being saints of God, about being in fellowship with one another, about Caesar's household. Uh, and in preparation to this message, I, I was actually listening to a message uh, from a, uh, a guy I, was, I knew of, uh, and uh, he preached a whole message just on Caesar's household. Now, how do you preach a whole message on that? Well, he did. And that was good. I enjoyed it. And uh, preach a whole. I mean, how many messages could we preach on grace alone, right? Right. I mean, come on. It, it just grace alone. But tonight we're going to be looking here at Paul's final address, Paul, Paul's uh, salutation. That's the title of the message tonight. Paul's salutation, the blessings of being a saint. The blessings of being a saint. We have Paul giving his final address with his own hand. Your, your Bible probably ends like my Bible does when it says at the end of verse number 23, it was written to the Philippians from Rome by Epaphroditus. Paul, this was Paul's normal method of writing, especially whenever he was in prison. In Colossians, you read, written from Rome to the Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus. In Ephesians, you read, written from Rome by Tychicus. In Philemon, you read, it says, written from Rome to Philemon by Onesimus, a servant. This was Paul's custom. Um, so this is, is his salutation. A salutation is a greeting. I was a little confused when I read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 17. For it says, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. I thought, uh, we're at the end of the epistle. Why, why is he, uh, this is not a greeting. This is, uh, but no, what he's, this is, is a greeting. This is his own handwriting. This is his salutation. This is his way of saying, uh, authorizing the letter. Paul would authorize his letters by uh, writing the last few verses, or the last few lines, as they would have known it then. They wouldn't have been verses then, obviously. And so we have in our epistle here in front of us something special. It's not just uh, the rest of the letter. This is a little bit more endearing, if you might, if you, if you will. For you have Paul writing these last few words here to the church at Philippi, and ultimately... Uh, to all the churches throughout all the ages, for it is the inspired word of God. And he says in verse number 21, it says, And salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you, 
All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. You knew it was Paul's letter by the writing of it. That's why Galatians is such an unusual letter. Because Paul wrote the whole letter, the whole epistle, with his own hand. He says, you see how large of a letter I've written unto you. Our translation there doesn't come out as well as we might think of right there. Because it's not that he's written a large, lengthy letter. But it's the largeness of the letters is the idea. So uh, is, the, is what he's saying there that in Galatians. He's saying that uh, you see my handwriting here. It's different. It's not like the rest of the letters were, uh, would have been somebody else writing it. This is my own hand writing this thing. And so we see in this salutation, uh, at the end of this letter, Paul encouraging the saints of Philippi, the saints of Philippi, he's encouraging them in their calling. He's encouraging them in their calling. And believers are saints of God. I'll say that again. Believers are saints of God. If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. All right? That's not just technically speaking or doctrinally speaking. That's biblical. All right? That's Bible. You are a saint of God. Now, there are some churches that would differ We'll talk about that in a moment, briefly. But for us tonight, we need to understand that we are saints. And this is a calling that God has placed upon all of our lives that are believers in Jesus. We have been called to be saints. And in this sainthood that God has given to us, we're going to recognize our calling as a saint. But we also need to see that in our sainthood that we have been called to fellowship with other saints. We have, it, is, it, is, it is none of this business of us four and no more. Amen? I mean, that's a, that's, that's not, that's, that's not, that, that never needs to be our attitude. And it's not the attitude of this church. All right? And I thank the Lord for this church. And may we still have an open hand and an open heart to those that come in. But God has called us to be saints. He's called us to fellowship. But he's also called us into his grace. Sainthood for the believer calls you to these three things. To be separated unto Christ. It calls you to fellowship with others. And it calls you to the grace of Jesus Christ. He tells them in the letter, he says it twice. He says at the salutation, he says, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. And then he just transitions the word from saint to brethren. You see that? He says, salute the saint, every saint in Christ Jesus. And then he says, the brethren, which are with me, greet you. All the saints salute you. And he goes back to the word saints there. Chiefly, they that are Caesar's household. He says it two times at the end of this epistle. If you went to Philippians 1, you would find that he has called the Philippians saints already. For he says in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So he has already called the Philippians saints, and now he is addressing others that are unknown to these uh, brethren here as saints. The church at Rome as saints, those in Caesar household as saints. And he bookends this epistle with this calling that all of us have upon our lives. He says, is it a calling? It sure is. Romans 1.7 teaches us this. He says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.2, he says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, if there was a church that I had to think of that I'd say was not a very saintly church, I'd say it would be the Corinthian church. All right? But even that bunch, he says, called to be saints. I'm writing to you. With all in every place, called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. What does the word <coughs> saint mean? The word saint means holy one. It means pure one. It means blameless one. Sacred one. Separated one. Dedicated one. An analogy would be to compare the vessels that were dedicated and separated and the temple or the tabernacle. Those vessels were separated and they were dedicated and they were holy vessels unto the Lord. Why were they holy? Because they were better utensils than the one you use at home? No. Well, <laughs> some of them probably were. The gold ones, definitely, yes. But that doesn't, just because it's gold doesn't make it holy. What made it holy? What made it, what made it pure? What made it is because it was dedicated to God. It was separated unto God. That's what made it holy. And that's what made them holy. Made them holy. Romans chapter number 12. And probably some of your favorite verses there. Romans 12, 1. It tells us plainly. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And what is the first description of a living sacrifice, folks? Do you know it? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that's what God has called us to. He called us to be holy lives, live holy lives, a dedicated life. The vessels of the temple and the tabernacle were holy. They were sacred. They were set apart because they were for the sole use of worshiping God. And that's how God views us now as saints, is that we've been set apart for the master's use. We've been set apart for the sole purpose to worship and praise God. Why was man created? What is the, what is the, the you know, you know, some of you might have heard of it before, but what does that, uh, the, the Westminster Confession say? What is the very first thing? What is the chief end of man? And that is to enjoy God and to glorify Him forever. What is, what is it all humankind was created for? We were created for his own pleasure. That's what Revelation says, right? All things. All things were, were and are were created for his good pleasure. And we are to glorify God. We are to lift God up. We are to worship God. But because of the fall... 
We have a separation between us and God. Because of the fall, we have sinned. And because of the fall, we cannot properly give glory to God in the way that we should. And so God sent a sacrificial lamb. And in the garden that day, uh, that Adam and Eve sinned, what did he do? He made unto them coats of skin. How do you get a coat of skin? You get a coat of skin by killing an animal. And it was obvious that they understood this because whenever Cain and Abel went to sacrifice, God was upset and he was displeased with Cain's uh, sacrifice because it was not a blood sacrifice. But he was accepted Abel's. God only forgives sin by the blood. And then who would come some, some 4,000 some, uh, 4, years later after Adam and Eve? But it would be the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And those that would put their faith in Jesus Christ would be called saints. So you have no sainthood without Jesus Christ. He says in verse number 21, it says, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You don't earn it. And then you don't even maintain it. It's all of Jesus. It's all of Christ. It's all of grace. The Catholic dogma teaches strictly that the only one becomes saints, you only become a saint after death. The Catholic dogma, dogma says you, the only people that can be saints are people that have already died and have passed on. And though broadly in their confession they say that broadly all souls in heaven are saints, you see they're not saints till they die, there are only a select few that are canonized, are selected out to be called saints. And they must follow some orders. They must have two verifiable post-mortal miracles. They must have two miracles ascribed to them after their death. They must also have led an exemplary life of goodness and virtue. They also, either they must have died and in martyrdom, or they must have undergone some major conversion of a previous immoral life and now exhibit outstanding holiness. And formally, anybody that is declared a saint in the Catholic Church must be declared only by the Pope. What I'm saying here tonight is that this, at its very least, that teaching at its very least, is biblically inaccurate. But at its core, the Pope and his cardinals are heretical and pompous to think that they can be the ones that make somebody a saint. When it is God Almighty and Jesus Christ that declares us and calls us out to be saints. So you understand what this church that the, that the Roman church is doing, right? The Roman church is saying we have more power than God. You say, well, that sounds really crazy. Well, that's what their priests do every single Mass. Because they believe at Mass they, they are, that, they, that the priest is crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ every single time. 
I'm just trying to get us an idea because even in our society, even as Christians, even as Baptists or wherever you grew up, but even as a even as a Christian, okay, is that Catholic theology has impacted our thinking. And we think in terms sometimes of like Saint Anthony or Saint Mary or Saint this or Saint that or uh, we, we sometimes are, we say, well, he's a saint or she's a saint or something like that. And we kind of confuse these terms with Catholic, Catholic teachings and we mix that in with what, we, what we're thinking. And then we read something like this and saints, who's he talking about? What's he meaning right here? Well, here's the thing, folks, is that all of us that are saved, born again, believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible accurately says that we are saints. That's what we are. Because we have confidence in God's Holy Word and that God himself is the one who calls us out. And we are, as it says in Romans, accepted into the beloved. We have been set apart and we've been made holy by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God, my sainthood is not based upon some exemplar, exemplary, uh, outstanding service to God. But in this final thought about sainthood is that it should also make us fear. And it should also make us be reverential. For if we are saints, then we have been called into a position of holiness. We've been called to lay aside and to put down and to cast away all uncleanness and Guiltiness, and we've been called to put out darkness and we've been called into his marvelous light. We've been called to, uh, to, to call away from unholy living. And as 2 Corinthians says, we've been called to be separate ourselves and to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We've been called to put down lying and cheating and fornication and covetousness and malice and hate and bitterness that springs up in us sometimes and thereby troubles many and many are defiled. Did you know that your bitterness can defile somebody? Bitterness is unholy and bitterness is something that will hurt other people. Will cause them to stumble and fall. Your unforgiving spirit or our heart is not is, is not a testimony to God's grace in your life, and it's definitely not a testimony to the fact that you're a saint of God, though you might be one. Yeah. Listen, folks, I'm just saying that we are saints of God. Let us live like it and let us live and let us act like it. We've been called to this. Been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are saints of God. That's what he's reminding them. That's what I'm reminding us tonight. The blessings of sainthood. And it is a blessing. It is a blessing to be called out. It is a blessing to be separated. It is a blessing that I can offer up worship and praise to God. And I can pray to God. God can hear me. Praise God for that. All that goes along with sainthood, you see. It's the blessings of being called out. 
of being dedicated, of being separated, of being consecrated to God. We see a call to fellowship. He tells them, he says, now salute or greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He says for me, he says, hey, tell everybody I said hello. He says, the brethren that are with me greet you, and all the saints salute you here. He's talking about all the people that are here with me at Rome, and then he says, even chiefly or mainly, they that are of Caesar's household. Now, it would be pure conjecture for us to uh, figure out why Caesar's household wanted to greet them so badly. We don't know why. But for some reason, they had a real big shout-out to them. Like, hey, we want you, we want to know. We want, let them, we want, let them, want them folks to know. And we love them. We appreciate them. Sainthood is not limited to how we live, but sainthood also encompasses who we are around. He talks about the church at Rome. He talks about all these brethren here. He had written to this church some 13 years prior to this. This church was there before he got there. It's one of the few churches that Paul writes to that he did not start. Colossians is another, uh, the Colossian church is another one. He didn't start the church at Rome. Some uh, conjecture that maybe uh, Aquila and Priscilla did. That doesn't matter. It's not the who's or the what's, but what I'm pointing out to you is that the gospel was present among them. And there was a church there. And Paul is telling these Philippians who are over 700 miles away that this church has heard of your faith and they want to send you their greetings and their love. Isn't it amazing that two churches separated by hundreds and th or maybe thousands of, or maybe even thousands of miles can love each other, can worship even with each other if called to do so, and can celebrate God's grace with each other? Isn't heaven going to be great? Amen? Amen? Heaven's going to be awesome. You know, there's going to be some more people besides Baptists in heaven. That's right. That's right. Truth. There are going to be some Methodists. They might even let a Catholic sleep in, you know? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying that what I'm saying is this, is that there's going to be some folks up there that if we had to, on our, on our, on our side, had to choose... Say, oh, I don't think they're going. I don't think they're going. I don't know if they're going. Listen, if you're a saint of God, you're going to be in heaven one day. Right. If you're a saint of God, you're going to be in heaven. If you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you're going to heaven one day. You're going to heaven. It's amazing to me. Locale is just where our church is located, but what matters is this, is what is a church preaching and what is a church teaching? These churches have fellowship based upon their similarities in doctrine. Listen, we cannot have fellowship with a church in this town or any other town or any other place that does not preach the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can't have fellowship with a church like that. You can't have fellowship with a church that doesn't stand for the rights and wrongs of the scriptures. Fellowship is in direct relationship to sainthood. You are called out. Now, I'm not saying that you don't witness and talk to your JW neighbor, okay? 
I'm not saying that you don't that you that, that you never that you never speak with your Lutheran your Lutheran co-worker, okay? I'm not saying that you never 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 talk to a Catholic friend. I'm not saying that, but as a church, okay, understand the difference, not individually, but as a church. Our fellowship, our fellowship is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's centered on that. That's where it is at. Sometimes I get calls and sometimes people ask me and some people will say, uh, will say hey, why don't you just come over to this ecumenical event and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll have this preacher and this pastor and this church and that church and we can also all pray together. Listen, how can I pray with another pastor that denies the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? I can't do that. I can't pray with a man like that. I can't get tied up in that. Because they don't believe the gospel. These were churches. When I went down, I can remember, I was when I went to Guyana, I spoke, I went to several different churches. Thousand miles, a long ways away. I don't know how many miles it is, but when I was down there in a different country, yet they were still preaching the same gospel, the same message. Same book. Did they do things a little different? Yeah, they did. It's a little different in God, all right? Okay? But you know what? They were preaching the same message, the same word, the same gospel of free grace to all who will believe, and that's a church we can fellowship with. And they're called to that. But look, it goes beyond that. Then he says the believers in Caesar's household. Not only is our fellowship with the people in a different locale, but also with the people of a different background. And listen, you don't get much different than this. You know who Caesar was at this time? Caesar is just a title, like president, all right? You know who Caesar was at this time? Nero. The most Christian, God-hating Caesar there was at the time. I mean, he would take Christians and pale them put them in his garden and light them on fire and use them as nightlights. He was wicked. He was sadistic. You don't get much different than this. Here you have people that were from, that were relatives, guards, maids, butlers. There are some accounts by Jerome and Josephus that many of Nero's family had actually converted to Christianity. How ironic is that? The most bloodthirsty emperor that hated Christianity and did all that he could to stamp them out. And I stamped them out. His own house was getting saved. His own court. His own people. And perhaps even his own family were believers in the one true God. God's got a big sense of humor, doesn't he? It just goes to show you that you can never be too sure who is or who isn't going to get saved. Amen? Yeah. You can't ever just, you never need to, you never need to peg somebody. And say, oh, they won't get saved. Oh, they're not a saint. They don't look like me. They didn't grow up like me. They didn't do this or they didn't do that. They won't get, they won't trust Christ. Oh, that neighborhood, I mean, that neighborhood is just way too rich for anybody ever to trust Christ, you know? I mean, nobody in that neighborhood needs the Lord. Look what all they got. I mean, look at their hair and look at their clothing and look what they've got on and look at we, 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 we judge people. We peg people and we say, look, I, you know, I can't get attracted to them. 
Maybe I'm the only person that does that. Maybe you don't do that at all. If you don't do that, I'm glad you don't do that. Never judge a book by its cover. Never get into the mode that you think because so-and-so did this or so-and-so looks like that or she was involved in this sin that that means that they won't end up fellowshipping with our church one day. Listen, we've got folks in here, we've got folks in this church that have been drunk more times than they could think. And we've got folks in this church that have never touched a sip of alcohol to their lips. We've got more, we've got people in here that have smoked more cigarettes and other things. And they know what to think of. And we've got some that have never inhaled any smoke at all. Except maybe from a fire or something like that or something in a campfire. We've got, we've got people in here that have been raised in church. I mean, from their from the time that they were little kids. I, you, know, you know that about Paris and I, that we were raised in church. We went to church our whole life. Was born in church. Three days a week. Every revival service. Every single time the doors were open. I mean, it feels weird when I miss a church service, all right? Not just because I'm a preacher, just because it's so routine to me. You know what I mean? It just feels weird. We've got some that are just now getting in. Listen, we don't need to judge a book by its cover, folks. And none of us are better than the other. We're all saved by what? Grace. Grace. Jesus led many of an adulteress and extortioners and thieves and prostitutes to the saving grace and knowledge of himself. And our sainthood produces a fellowship with others that would never be possible except to be for the grace of God. Never. I would say the majority of us in this room tonight would have no fellowship with each other if we didn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But what ties us together as saints of God? The grace of God. We've been called to be saints. We've been called to fellowship. And we've been called to grace. Our sainthood stands in grace. And this is another bookend of the epistle. The epistle starts with sainthood and ends with sainthood. The epistle starts with grace and ends with grace. Just like all the epistles of Paul does. Every epistle begins and ends with grace. Praise God for grace. It's His grace that makes us holy. It's His grace that separates us. It's His grace that makes us pure. It's His grace that makes us blameless. It's His grace that makes us fit for the Master's use. It's His grace that dedicates us to be worthy and useful for the service of the King. It is His grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. All of us. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is getting what we do not deserve, while mercy is the withholding of the punishment that I righteously deserve. Grace is getting the free gift of salvation that I do not deserve. I don't deserve grace. You don't deserve grace. None of us deserve the grace of God in our lives. 
But that's the only way you get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. But you and I do not just need saving grace. We need sustaining grace. And that's what he's talking about in verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We need sustaining grace. We need grace to be dedicated Christians. We need grace to serve. Amen? Amen. We need sustaining grace. I'm glad that, that James 4, 6, one of my favorite <coughs> verses in all the Bible, says, but he giveth more grace. He giveth more grace. You see, God did not just give you enough grace to save you. He gave you enough grace to sustain you. When Paul was going through some of his, one of the most difficult trials that he was facing and he was, had a thorn in his side, what did Jesus Christ come down and say to him? He said, my grace is what? Sufficient. It's able. It can help. God supplies a steady supply of grace. He supplies sufficient grace. We need grace to serve. I'm privileged. I'm privileged. I'm privileged. I thank God like Paul says, I, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I'm privileged by the grace of God to, to preach the word of God. To steward the gift that God has given to me of grace. Every gift that God has given to you is of grace. It's of grace. I know preaching is to me is a grace. It's a grace gift. Because if you get me up and sometimes in front of other people in some other fashion or some other sort, and I'll bumble and stumble over all of my words. You ask my wife. I'm not a good public speaker. But God lets me preach. And that's the Lord. It's not me. Sunday, I was just telling you about Sunday, and I've been thinking a lot about Sunday. And God's really just been making me cogitate on that a lot. Is that, you know, I didn't think in some ways that this past Sunday was, was good before Dominique and Gigi got saved. I didn't think it was the best message I'd ever preached. I hardly ever think that. But I certainly didn't think it was a home run, let alone a single. One thing happened after another, but then two people got saved at the end of service. I was telling Brother Gear that today when I had coffee with him, and he looked at me and he said, that's God telling you, Matthew, that it's not about you. I needed somebody to just kind of cut the legs out from under me. I'm thankful for good friends. Humble me a little bit. That was God saying it's not about you. You know what? That was God saying it's not about you. He's saying God, God's saying it's about me. It's just my grace that I'm using you. It's just my grace that I'm using. I'm being real transparent with you here this evening. Is that it's just God's grace that uses us, folks. It's only God's grace. And sometimes we want to serve the Lord as long as the AC is working. As long as the pews are padded. Listen, pews are not padded in Guyana, all right? 
There is no air conditioning. It's all open air. And we, and we want to serve the Lord if we've got a good children's program and all the kids that are from 3 years old to 12 years old are sitting perfectly still and taking notes. And we want to, we want to serve God as long as it's not too hot outside or as long as it's not too cold. Or as long as I can get a little compensation, as long as I get someone to tell me thank you, or as long as I can get a little payment on my side, as long as, as long as I don't have anywhere to go that weekend, as long as I don't have anything to do, as long as I don't have any prior engagements, and I'll gladly serve the Lord. But listen, my friend, no, it's all of grace. We ought to serve God and serve the Lord in any condition, any hour, any day, any month, any year. It shouldn't matter to us what's happening in our lives. And just be thankful for the grace of God to be able to witness to somebody, to give out a gospel track, to be able to pray for somebody, to be able to come to church or read our Bibles or tell somebody else or to instruct our kids about Jesus Christ and the Bible and the Scriptures and say, God, Thank you for saving me and giving me grace to serve. Amen. Grace to live for you. Grace to do something for you, God. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's not about us. It's all about God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's about the Lord. That's what this church is about. That's what it ought to be about. It ought to be about God. It's not about a man. It's not about a parking lot. And it's not about, you know, silly sandwich signs that I talked about. That's not about any of that stuff. What it's about, it's about God. That's what it's about. So we put up silly sandwich signs so that maybe somebody will see an arrow and maybe come on in. We're just trying to serve the Lord and do the best that we can. For the Bible says this in First and Second Timothy two twenty one: If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Listen, I'm glad that Brother Yalls doesn't need AC to go in to prisons and preach the gospel. I'm glad he doesn't, doesn't need, you know, somebody to say, okay, well, you're going to have to bring all the prisoners up to me. No, he's got to walk with bad knees and bad legs and bad eyes back there, walk around, sail to sail. Listen, if Christianity was easy, everybody would be doing it. It's not easy, folks. Sainthood is not an easy thing. But I'll tell you this. You've got grace to do it. You've got grace to live it. Now live out the faith that God has given to you. Live out your sainthood. Live it out at work. Live it out at home. Live it out in your neighborhood, in your community. Let people see that you're a saint of God. Not because you got a halo around your head. Get that nonsense out of our head. Amen? Amen? No, it's not because you got a halo around your head. No, it's because you got joy in your heart. 
because of Jesus. He saved you. You're born again. You know you're going to heaven, not because of what you've done, but because of the grace of God and his wonderful mercy that's been given to us. Father, thank you.